Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationmoney.com. Atma, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here and have this conversation. And I think it is so timely to touch on topics surrounding careers and resumes and networking, just due to the last few months with the economy and job market. And I think this will be a great episode where we'll share many tips for listeners today. So excited to have you on as a guest. And I would love for you to share with the audience a little bit more about yourself. For sure. My name is Fatima and I run Career Tuners. It's a small resume writing company, but we also help people identify what career paths are best for them, given whatever their work-life goals are. We also help people with interview prep and salary negotiation. We also just rolled out a leadership coaching service, and we've already been helping lots of people. And I've been having a lot of fun heading that service. The basic premise of our service is to help people feel that the job that they're at is more in line with their goals. They're getting better paid. Their job duties are aligned with how they see their career growing and all of that good stuff. So we help people feel better paid and more happy at work. That's awesome. And you said a few things that I definitely want to hone in on because some people just don't know how to do these things like salary negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll be so surprised at how many people don't know that you can ask for more money. Mm -hmm. You know, I will do it. We'll do a little deep dive into that until what's all included. But, but I learned sort of in the middle of my career and I was like, what? You can negotiate all these things. And you would think with so much technology out now and knowledge and information at your fingertips that people would know all of this information and, and people don't. But, but yes, and in agreement to everything that you've said that you're offering, like these are these are things that are needed. Like people have to understand how important their their career is and what they're doing and how that's going to impact their career trajectory. And some people become complacent. And I'm sure you have some tips for for people who may even feel that way right now. Absolutely. I think if you are just struggling with the concept of salary negotiation and you don't even know where to get started, the bare minimum that you should be doing every time you get an offer is just to ask, is that the best you can do? And I think this question is very easy to ask if you're the kind of person that gets really nervous about salary negotiation because it's non-confrontational. It's It doesn't take you, you know, researching for hours and hours 
and there's a very high chance that they can they'll they're going to come back with an offer that's up to 25% higher depending on how well you've presented yourself in the interview so starting from there is critical and then if you want to learn more about some advanced salary negotiation techniques the first place that i would start is simply googling the role that you are interviewing for depending on what the role is there are going to be different forums different salary websites that you can consult with different blogs and resources that'll help you identify what a good range is for the position you're interviewing for for example if, if you are interviewing with fame companies there are specific forums dedicated to fame companies and what what interview questions are they going to be asking what exercises are they going to be asking you to do what are you getting paid and what, you know how much more are people negotiating for so this information is really valuable there's going to be a point in your career in the future or you know even now if you're an executive level candidate or a director level candidate that simply doing online research isn't going to cut it. The unique skill set that you bring and your ability to pivot an organization and solve problems at a very large scale, for that, there's not going to be like a quick and easy online research that you can do to figure out how much you should be paid. Instead, you have to you have to see what others in your field are making. And the best way to do that is to network very actively. If that's something you need help with, joining a professional association can really help. Having candid conversations with recruiters about the recent placements that they've made and the salary ranges they were able to claim, that that can be really helpful as well. But of course, in this in this space, knowledge is power. When when you know what others are making, it helps you feel empowered too because it allows you to have an honest conversation with yourself about, yeah, you know what, this person seems smart, but I'm smart too. And I'm about that capable. So I should be making about that much too. And it helps you kind of normalize being paid better. I love that. And I'm sitting here laughing because <laughs> I tend to really take on that mindset of when I meet someone and, and, you know, they tell me about the role they're in, or they tell me about the salary. And I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> I know some people, some people may listen and they're like, hmm, that sounds like a little narcissistic or something, but <laughs> no, it's really not. I think it's just, if you keep exposing yourself to really smart people, that becomes your attitude after a while. Right. Right. And you're, it's almost like you fall into this elementary level mindset. Well, if they can do it. I can do it, <laughs> but, exactly. but you have to keep yourself motivated and, and really having those transparent conversations, not only with joining a professional organization, I think it starts with, with your friends. So many people don't share their financial history, information, how much they're investing, salary. And some people are just embarrassed by how much they're not accumulating in wealth, or they're embarrassed because they haven't been able to move forward in their careers. And so, or some people just flat out maybe lying about, you know, their success and how much money they're making. So they just never really mention it. And, and, and I live in Dallas. I've been in Dallas for the last 15 years. When I first moved here, and I think this is probably still a thing online where people were calling the people in Dallas $30,000 millionaires. And I was like, what is a $30,000 millionaire? So these people were making 15 years ago, some of the people were only making $30,000, $40,000, but they're driving luxury vehicles. And mm -hmm. like, how the heck are they affording this? And some people, when they see the flashy, you automatically assume this person has, you know, this 
big salary and they're making all this money. And in actuality, it's, that's not always the case. <laughs> but, you know, I always say you have to ask, ask your peers how much money they're making and not only just your peers, because people who are doing the same thing as you. So start with your friends, with your family, but even coworkers. I think it's becoming more of a thing now where, where people at work are willing to share their salary and they're banding together. Like, no, we're, we're all going to make it to the top. Whereas if you think 15, 20 years ago, I mean, there's still cutthroat people out there, but there, it was really cutthroat where no one really wanted you to know any information. And, you know, there's always that one person in your group that wanted to be ahead of everyone, but people are, employees are more banded together these days. Absolutely. And there's, again, as you mentioned, so many sites that are, that are sharing salary and there's blind, there's an app called blind and there's the fishbowl app where many people in the consulting world are sharing their salaries across these major consulting organizations. I, I can't remember all of the states where this is mandatory now with the salaries to be posted on the job listings, but that always helps as well. Like take a peek and see, like, let me just see how much this job is, is paying before I tell them how much I'm looking for. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Although some shady employers have been like, this job pays anywhere from 20,000 to 500,000 per year. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, irritating. I'm just going to go for the, I don't know, the, the top number. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Please pay me half a million per year. <laughs> I think oh. an easy way to ask your friends and colleagues about how much they're making without sounding confrontational is to ask, hey, do you think a fair range for someone who offers what I do is, you know, whatever, 160000 or whatever? Because then they will, you have volunteered some information and they will be more willing to contribute some information as well. Maybe they'll say, no, no, I think that's a little low. I'm currently making, you know, 200,000 or whatever, or yeah, I think that's really reasonable right now. I'm making about that. And, you know, it's, it's an easy way for you to show that, Hey, I'm, I'm not trying to take more of the pie. I'm just trying to assess if the shares we've all been given are fair, because I think now everyone understands that it's not about a fixed size pie. The pie grows as we contribute more to each, you know, each of our jobs. So having these conversations has gotten a lot easier, but there are still some people that are a little bit old fashioned, that are a little bit more conservative with their financial values that are going to feel a little, you know, confronted when you ask them these salary questions directly. So having this indirect approach can be really beneficial, especially if you're in an industry where, you know, kind of that traditional conservative mentality seems to rule. Definitely. So I definitely agree on that. And, you know, while we're, while we're here on the topic already of salary negotiation, let's sort of dabble into some of the things that you can actually negotiate aside from that dollar amount. So for someone who, you know, let's say they're looking for a job that that's paying them 150,000 a year and the company's saying, well, you know, we can only pay 140. What are some, some other things that that employee can ask for in negotiations that would supplement that additional $10,000 difference. I think post pandemic, like all of us have gotten so used to working from home, the luxury of that flexibility, that that's the number one thing I've seen people asking for. The amount of time you spend in a car and the amount of money you're spending on gas, especially here in California, like that can really add up. So negotiating for flexible hours and for the ability to work from home is a big, big win for a lot of people. Uh, Otherwise, I've heard of people like I've helped people ask for more time off. I've had clients who, you know, had family back home and they wanted to have longer vacations because they needed to help aging family members back home with 
you know, asset management projects and that sort of thing. So I've seen, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen people asking when it's like a smaller startup for better healthcare options. I've also seen people asking obviously for equity and stocks, but those things you really kind of have to be careful for, careful about because in some startups, you know, equity and stocks and all of that really is only monopoly money until, you know, the, they can they can get properly properly evaluated and and that that those stocks and equity mean something. So one of the kind of shady things that I've seen companies doing it's not really that shady, but what, but what they'll do is they'll be like, hey, we have two options for you. You can either take like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar base and twenty thousand in equity, or you can take a hundred and forty thousand and thirty thousand in equity. And they're giving you the the way they. The reason they're doing that is because it kind of encourages you to pick one when really you should be negotiating either way. So rather than just picking like, okay, the 150 sounds better because right now their equity is just monopoly money. You know, that's that's what you might be thinking. But really what you should, the conversation you should be having is, I think I'm, I'm, I really like the equity offer, but I think, you know, a base of let's say 170 would be more fair considering the skills that I bring to the table and the the things that I can achieve for your company. Oh, definitely. Now, back when I first learned about salary negotiation, I was, you know, coming off of, you know, getting back into the job market. I had really been without a job for for almost a year and I was coming off of that 0809 recession and and I was desperate. I was like, I just need a job. I was trying to do my own thing. And, you know, entrepreneurship doesn't always work out when you're doing it full time. And I was like, I really need to go back to work. And the jobs were not offering the same amount that I was being paid before, you know, when I was in the job market. And I knew nothing about asking for more like negotiating. And, and there was someone she probably was not supposed to do this, but she worked in HR for the company and she pulled me to the side and she said, she said, well, they can't pay you more. Ask for more PTO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she could have gotten fired for that. But, <laughs> but she really gave me some tips as far as like what to do as I walked into this meeting with this, with this executive VP to really go over my offer letter and everything. And I didn't know I was pretty young. And I was like, well, I just need a job. <laughs> but, but, you know, so many people just, just don't know these days. And I always say, you know, let's just ask someone. So if you're walking into a situation and you don't know what to do, Maybe ask a peer or ask someone that you trust, someone within your professional network. And, you know, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you should, you should look out for? And I really try to be that voice of reason with many of my friends who are transitioning in the job market. So many people have, and and my network at least have been with their company for 10, 15 years. I'm probably the the only one, the unicorn that's bounced around and Mm -hmm. found my, my nesting spot. And, and people get really comfortable. They get complacent. They're like, well, I like it here and I don't want to start over. You know, I really like my coworkers. I really like the company. And I'm like, well, inflation, you know, companies mm-hmm. are, some companies are still doing those 2%, 3% raises and you can easily move to the next company and have a 20 to 30% pay increase. And, mm-hmm. you know, I tell people that nowadays it's not necessarily frowned upon for staying at a company, you know, one year, two years, three years as it, as it was 15, 20 years ago where some people just start, they just get in their comfort zone and like, well, I don't know what it's going to look like if I start over at another company and I have to start over with my tenure and I am like, none of those things matter anymore. <laughs> at least I don't think that they matter in, in my yeah, mind. <laughs> I think I think if you spend more than eight years at a company, you're almost seen as kind of stale, right? 
nowadays. Right. And especially because some companies are just not into continuous learning. And yeah. one of the things I learned earlier in my career, I was at a company for a while. I, I loved it. I had my own office. And most of my friends were like, well, you have an office? And I was like, yeah, I have a, I have an office. And they didn't believe me. They needed to come to my job to see the office because we were in our twenties. And they're like, well, who's giving you an office? They're like, we're still sitting in cubicles. Oh no. <laughs> so I had my own office and, and everything. And I was like, yeah, I love this. I'm never going back to a cubicle. <laughs> and so that was one of the reasons I actually stayed with that, with that company. Yeah. But- and, and these small perks are sometimes how they get you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But the company, the, my salary I knew was lower than, than many of my peers mm-hmm. and the company just was not investing in continuous learning. And I was falling behind. I remember going to a conference, a business, a business analyst conference, and we were doing round table and they were, I'm sitting with people who are working at these major fortune 100 fortune 500 companies. And I was working for a smaller company at the time. And everyone's talking about the technology that they're using, different strategies that they're implementing at their company. And we have to go round about round robin style. And when it got to me, I had nothing to share. Mm-hmm. And I, it made me feel so small. And I was like, oh my God, I think that was the point in my career where I was like, yep, I need a new job. <laughs> and I'm never staying at a company this long if they're not investing back into me. So Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, some people just don't get it. So I think it, it it really has to hit home somewhere for you to really get it that, wait a minute, I might be left behind in the the whole rat race. Yeah. and But I don't think there's like, there are people who stay with one company for a couple decades. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what is making you happy and you feel you are growing or you feel that you're you're comfortable there's nothing wrong with that but if there's a part of you that isn't feeling fulfilled and you feel like a change of job description might help but you like even if you don't want to change companies you can still talk to your boss about you know getting special projects assigned to you or something like that so that you are feeling fulfilled so you don't get complacent like that. But I mean, different different strokes for different folks, you know, whatever. If if you're happy, you're happy. But if you're not, then having candid conversations can really help too. Right. No pressure to anyone who's listening. I'm not pressuring you to quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you're happy, oh, it's man. good. So Fatima, I really want to get into a question as far as how you started Career Tuners. Did this stem from a personal experience with your career or how did you start this company? I started just by helping a few friends really and it snowballed from there and I've been working as a hiring manager on the side as well so what it's like to be on the other side of the table. I know how to interview people in a way that they're not getting too nervous and stuff like that. So this really helps me see what the candidate experience is like from a hiring manager's perspective. And it helps me help people a little bit more concretely. But yeah, it just, you know, I I started helping a few people and I was like, wow, you're so bright and brilliant. Why is your resume such garbage? Like none of what you're saying is really coming through. And the way people would talk to me about their stories and what they tell me, I'd be like, yeah, you're telling me that now, but when you're a piece of paper, that's not coming across. And we have to make sure that this is written in a way that even someone who, who, for you know, that you're just a piece of paper to them, they can still feel that energy and that passion that you're sharing with me now, because you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt the way a friend would 
you know, when you're having a conversation with them. So it's it's really sad how dehumanized the hiring process has become, but there are still ways to feel empowered and bring back that control. And I love doing that. And what's even more gratifying to me is when people, you know, get a job that they're really passionate about, because the people I work with are so amazing. They're so clever and they've done so much in their respective fields. And when they're unhappy and when that unhappiness goes away, when they finally get a job that they really like, it's it's the best feeling in the world. And it's why I wake up every day and do what I do. That's awesome. And I know some of what you do is around the topic of leadership. And I am very passionate about leadership and teaching others what it takes to lead, because it's a topic where many companies are failing at. Mm-hmm. Many companies are looking more of, you know, who is what, and I'm just going to say, I've worked at some companies where people choose their leaders based on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. They choose their mm-hmm. leaders based on, on various things. There's ageism. I remember mm-hmm. being in my twenties, I was leading a client account and I overheard a conversation where the client did not want me to leave the account anymore. I have a, I have a baby face. I look extremely young. I've always looked really young. And they made a comment like, we don't want a kid representing us. It's like, what the heck? And I was like, great at my job. And I was always accurate and timely and had everything done. But they they wanted someone who just, I guess, looked experienced. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that definition yeah. is. But, but I've heard it from the different side of the coin as well as my mom is older. And she was getting back into the job market. And she heard some comments and some people just really straight up said that they thought she was too old to be in a role. And I was like, that's pretty illegal to go around saying that. But, but, you know, companies are not necessarily developing their leaders. Some people are choosing leaders based on different qualities outside of leadership skills, or people are getting thrown into these management roles or leadership roles, and they don't know how to lead. You Mm -hmm. would be so surprised at how many people are sitting in director roles and they've never actually led a team. Yes. I see it every day. And I'm like, this is completely insane. (laughs) I know everyone's not meant to be a leader. There are natural born leaders. Some people are not meant to lead and some people are really thrown into the position. And so if you've never had the experience to lead a team, I think that it's, it's really something that you're missing out on and not saying that you have to do it throughout your entire career, because there are roles where you can be an an independent or individual contributor. You don't necessarily have to be a direct manager. I know in my career, when I was leading a a team and I was a direct manager and involved in the day-to-day, I really did not like it. Now I do consider myself a leader, but I was like, I don't really want to be in the weeds of everyday life of the employees. (laughs) But I think mm-hmm. that, you know, that experience is really great to have. And it really shows one, um, your EQ, your relationship building skills. How do you deal with these difficult situations of people when you're sort of at that mid-level management role or even that lower level management role, first year manager, you're, you're learning, how do you deal with an employee that constantly calls off <laughs> or yeah. someone who doesn't get right. their work done? And, and I remember early in my career, I was like, okay, I don't want anyone to get fired because I went through a layoff and I was like, I know what it's like not to have a job. So I was more like the compassionate leader. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can't always be a compassionate leader because people no, are yeah. letting people <laughs> slip through the cracks. So then the team performance is dropping and I was forced to have a very hard conversation and I did not want to. And I'm like, that's a part of leadership. You have to have those tough conversations and mm-hmm. companies don't necessarily prepare you on how to do those things. 
Yeah, it's true. And I I don't know if it was Harvard Business Review or another article that I was reading today where they were saying that the role of a manager has completely changed, especially post-pandemic. You are expected to do a little bit more like mental coaching and motivation than you were before, where before you might have just, you know, as a manager, your primary job description might have been to train somebody and to onboard them to whatever process you want them to master. With training becoming automated, what is it that a manager is doing? Is Are they just like a project coordinator? No, it, it, there's a lot of people skills that have to go into management now. And that's what the younger generations are expecting. They're expecting to be coached. They're expecting to be mentored. They're expecting to be advised and for somebody to be looking out for them and teaching them how to play the politics and how to get ahead. So it is very challenging in this age. And I think that a lot of, you know, the older management techniques that are practiced, some of them might seem irrelevant. But, you know, some of the things that you said today kind of stood out to me. How do you manage somebody who's not clocking in properly? Or how do you manage an underperformer? If you're ever having a specific problem like that, the first thing that I personally do is Google and see what are some of the scripts that you know, people are sharing? How do people talk about these issues with their with their subordinates? Do the scripts that people are sharing, do they seem like something you can execute or do they sound totally off to you? When you look at those scripts, are you like, no, 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 this does not sound like my style at all. I'm very uncomfortable with this. Or are you like, yeah, I could potentially try that. So when you have specific problems like that, you can definitely do a little bit of like putting out fires that way. But if you keep having these kinds of issues, you cannot be firefighting forever as a leader. You actually have to start innovating and building things up too. And if you if you feel you're constantly in that position where you are firefighting, then you probably need a mentor to look at everything that you're doing and kind of advise you on what the big picture should be and how you should be prioritizing your schedule so that you're hitting not only the objectives that you're assigned, but actually creating a little bit so that you are properly leading and not just managing the tasks. You know what I mean? Yes, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned, of course, when to go into Google, I'm like, now there, there's so many cool tools to help you. There's so many book references. I'm a huge fan of Harvard Business Review and their mm-hmm. guidance books, and they have books on how do you manage and as a XYZ project manager, finance manager, but people that, that really need help to answer the difficult question or you're in a difficult situation. Now there's artificial intelligence and yes. artificial intelligence is so awesome. I played around with it. It will build you whatever you need to say. <laughs> and you tell it the tone of voice, like, I want to say this and this tone of voice or write me an email or a script. And it just spits it out for you in two seconds. That's, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I love that. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. You can just tell chat GPT, how do I reprimand my colleague for not showing up to work? Right. And you tell it what tone of voice you wanted to speak in. It's like, <laughs> I needed this like 15 years ago, <laughs> but no, I think everything that you you've said is it's perfect. And, you know, I really wish that this, the leadership topic would, would really come to light within these companies. And I know that's one of the things that I'm working on. Again, I'm big on leadership and And I have started like a leadership newsletter and and really try to push out some information to people. And I try to question other leaders as far as the issues that they're having and what they'd like to see within their employees. I want to touch base and focus on the last few months of the economy. Like 2022, 
I feel like we're in a recession. The government's failing to realize that we're in a recession. So many data points are saying we're in a recession. It hasn't officially been claimed, but now the last few months, we've seen all of these top tech companies laying off major companies. So there's been the Amazon and the Facebook. And of course, the, the, I don't even know what to call what's happening at Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see all these, all these top companies, Spotify, and you know, everyone's laying off and not in low numbers. These are what I would consider mass layoffs. For someone who has been through a layoff, what advice would you give them as far as preparing their resume and getting back into the job market? You know, in some extreme situations, a layoff or like a recession at a large scale does require you to pivot in terms of your career. We had a lot of jobs open up in 2020 related to virtual collaboration. Like Slack was hiring like crazy. Zoom was hiring like crazy. Netflix, obviously, because that was how people were seeking entertainment. And now that we're going through that corrective phase, a lot of the IT professional that have been experiencing layoffs at these companies have been able to pivot into doing IT for different industries. Like maybe you're doing IT in the financial sector now, or maybe you're doing IT for a healthcare company, right? Some that's that's like the minimum transition that you would potentially have to do in a recession. However, sometimes a recession can be a blessing in disguise because it can force you to take count of really what is important to you. Were you truly satisfied in your role? If you were, you know, can you find a similar role in a different niche where you're where you're achieving that same level of fulfillment? If not, why were you unhappy in your previous job? What job duties would really thrill you and what what kinds of job titles have those job tu- duties and and re- rebranding your you know profile around that can 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 really because in a recession like recruiters are also more forgiving since 2008 it's become more common for us to see people transitioning from one field to another having you know employment gaps of nine plus months we now see people, you know, spending around two years at each job, and that's normal, like that's not considered a red flag anymore. So things do get more forgiving around a recession. So it is usually a pretty good time to make a transition, if that's something that you're interested in doing. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I've been seeing lately on LinkedIn is so many people announcing their layoffs. People are really using that as a catalyst to reach out to their network and recruiters to say, hey, I'm available. This just mm-hmm. happened to me. And of course, they of course they want to lean on someone's shoulder. They want the compassion as well. But but I think that's a really great idea. You you put your story out there, attach your your resume and really be transparent. Whereas you find some people who who are really ashamed that they've been laid off. Some people think it's a bad thing. They're like, oh, was I underperforming? And it may not have had anything to do with your performance at all. The company may have just chosen to wipe out that department. What advice would you have for someone who is who is dealing with that guilt and shame of being laid off? It's definitely not your fault. You know, if you're laid off, you didn't do anything wrong to deserve that. It's very unusual for a company to put everyone on a bell curve and be like, okay, we're going to lay off the bottom 60%. Like that just doesn't happen. It's usually by team and by department. Usually, you know, it's some higher up says we need to scale back by X amount of dollars. And those decisions are made purely because of data points. I had one friend of mine recently who was laid off right before he was about to take a three-month paternity leave. And he was like, 
whoa, you cannot do that because now I have grounds to sue you potentially. So he reached out to HR and they were like, yeah, that was an error on our part. You know, you were just one of the data points that it made sense financially to lay off. They weren't even considering the fact that, okay, this is a guy who has a baby and then another baby on the way. They were able to, you know, shoo him away because they gave him a severance. They're like, okay, just take this money and sorry and no hard feelings. And and that's that's usually how they're not really doing this based on your last performance evaluation or anything like that. If you've been laid off, it's a really crappy feeling. It does feel really bad. A lot of us have, I I know I do, we have our self-worths tied into the amount of money we're making, what we're doing on a daily basis in terms of work. This, This really defines who we are and the things that allow us to feel confident. And when that's taken away, it's really a terrible feeling. So in those moments, I would I would just advise you to think about what other things you draw strength from, what other things make you feel uplifted and, and keeping that around you more because having a successful job search is a lot about the energy that you give off as well. If you come across as desperate and needy, you are going to get a salary offer that's lower because the interviewers are going to be able to smell this a mile away. Whereas if you come into interviews confident and you know, showing what you can achieve for the company, you're going to get a better offer and you're not going to have to settle for something just to pay the bills. So keep your chin up. And, you know, if layoffs are something that are concerning to you and you'd like to make a pivot quickly, or if you're anticipating a layoff, please don't wait until you are laid off. Do start sowing the seeds now. Make sure your LinkedIn profile is updated because all of these people that are posting on LinkedIn and getting all that attention, they're only getting that attention because they have a face now, right? There's a person on the other side of that profile. Whereas when you're just applying with your resume, you don't have that story and people are not going to be as empathetic. So build up your profile, make sure you're well connected, say hi to a couple people, you know, congratulate people if they've had good news and that sort of thing. And just, just keep those friendships active is what I would tell people. Awesome advice. And I always say play hardball. <laughs> people, people, yeah, my friends will say I'm super crazy, but I'm like, look, don't make it look like you're desperate for a job. Like still Absolutely. go in and ask for more money. And then if they if they lowball you, even if you really need a job, just turn it down. <laughs> Act like you have three other jobs lined up. For sure. Oh, and someone may be like, oh my gosh, this lady's nuts. But but no, I feel like you have to have that confidence of, about you and and letting people know, well, other people are interested too. So don't miss the, don't miss the train here. You know, you've given some really great advice. And I think the listeners will walk away with some great tips around salary negotiation and leadership skills and what to do after coming back from a layoff. One more topic I really want to touch on is the networking aspect especially Mm -hmm. for those who are out of the job market now, because I found so many people do not like to network. And, you know, what advice can you give for someone to really start networking and take advantage of that for their job search? In terms of networking, I actually, me and a colleague of mine are doing an experiment where we are messaging people, totally irrelevant, nothing to do with are presenting if you're if you're on LinkedIn see what people are writing about on their summary are they talking about being a veteran are they talking about owning a lemonade stand when they were a kid and that's how they got their start in sales are they talking about 
you know, their dog and how much, how much they love to play with their dog outside of work. What have they posted on recently? Look at their recent activity and use that to introduce yourself and don't immediately go for, Hey, by the way, here's my resume. Do you mind looking it over? Because that's a question that requires a lot of mental and emotional effort to answer positively. Like I have to have nothing else in my inbox and I have to be really feeling extremely charitable that day, which, you know, how often does that happen with you? Be honest with yourself. And then I have to think, okay, are we hiring? What is this person's strengths? Are we hiring for these? Who do I need to talk to, to potentially introduce them? Is my name going to be on the line if they don't do well? You know, it's just too much work mentally. So it's just so much easier for you to answer a question that's something like, hey, what's a good journal that you recommend I follow if I'm looking for news on this industry because I'm trying to make a transition to this space? You know, because this does two things. It shows that you're very driven about your career and you're looking to grow. And the second thing it does is it alerts the other person that you're having this conversation with that you are looking for work without being like, yo, take my resume and please get me a job ASAP. I would recommend reframing the act of networking to going for smaller asks and working up to a bigger ask indirectly. That is awesome advice. Thank you so much for sharing. And gosh, I know someone who's listening is really going to take that home and take take the notes down and it may be able to help someone. Um, I know we're near the end of the show and I always like to ask my guests one question around the topic of finance. As I mentioned, I teach financial literacy and I've built a few brands over the years around that subject. One of the brands that I built is Ballin' on a Budget. You've probably heard that phrase before. It's been around for quite some time, but I would like to know your own personal definition of Ballin' on a Budget. When you hear that word, give us what comes to the top of mind. I think of being like back in college when I just had like my work study budget and I had to make it stretch, carrying around a steel lunchbox, making my own food, which was usually horrible, but I was a college student. So I didn't really have an appreciation for fine things in life yet. That's what I, 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 there's just this nostalgia and this good feeling associated with being that broke now in retrospect. I'm sure at (laughs) the time it didn't feel good, but I used to make it work at UCLA in Los Angeles on like a $400 a month budget. And just, it's just such a romantic notion looking back at it now, but that's, yeah, that's, that's, I think the time when I had to do the most crazy budgeting. Wow. (laughs) Thank you for that. That is, that's a very unique definition. So definitely we'll, we'll put that one in the vault. I've heard some very unique things along the way and I definitely appreciate you sharing and I appreciate you being a guest on the show today. I just want to ask you, Fatima, if you have any last words for listeners today. Of course. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more about salary negotiation and what it takes to have a really good interview strategy and a resume, I have a bunch of free resources around that that you can grab at careertuners.com slash podcasts. I have an example resume that someone used to go from getting an $80,000 per year offer to $160,000 per year offer. I have a LinkedIn cheat sheet based on someone's profile, who was able to demand a $323,000 per year offer. I have email templates for what to do if 
the offer that you get after an exciting interview is a lowball offer because nobody likes that feeling. What do you exactly say to them to get them to reconsider and hire you at a higher offer? You can grab all of those free resources at careertuners.com slash podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestonesmotivationandmoney. Tune in next time.